0: Welcome back to the Two Black Runners podcast presented by the Runner Report. I'm your host, Joshua Potts, and we have a really special podcast for you guys this week. We're on episode 30, you guys. This is low-key like a milestone as we want to hit that 52 weeks straight, a one-year of straight podcast in our first season of Two Black Runners. So I'm so glad and just blessed that we keep on doing this, and we have great guests to go along with it. We have a great guest this week, and honestly, it's going to be really exciting, and just a Deep and intellectual conversation, I feel like for sure. Be excited for this one, for sure. Be excited. But before we get into that, I got to introduce the brother from the same mother, Aaron Potts, super hot pots on Zoom, bro. How's it going, Aaron? How's it going?
1: Hey, going good. As always, man, just blessed to be here to get the opportunity to speak to these amazing guests that we get every single yep. week and you know this is yeah like you said it's gonna be an interesting one i mean episode 30 that's crazy but we're also in an interesting time of the year i know by the time this release okay. i mean we might release this on election day uh so a lot going on in the world and you know i think our guest could our guest could speak to some of those some of those things but he's someone if you really follow the and track and field you know you know who we're talking about so it's gonna be an entertaining podcast for sure
0: yeah, most definitely if, you, if you've been watching track and field and you a track a nerd like us, you've seen him on the track, you've seen him in striped blue singlet with the dreads flowing in the background and with that beard as well from Missouri out of Rhode Island. He's an Ivy League graduate from Brown, Jordan man is on the podcast this week bro Jordan how's everything going and let me mention this man he he ain't no scrub he ain't no scrub too I, I, I have to put this in real quick Jordan he ain't no scrub he ain't no scrub fifth place at the U.S. championships in the steeplechase definitely somebody prime to try and make that Olympic team next year definitely someone prime so be on the lookout but Jordan how's everything going real quick
2: you know, man, it's it's the first time I would say in the track world that someone's just going to describe me as deep and intellectual, something that you're going to expect, considering that, that the number two quote that I've been asso- associated with is talking about sitting around jacking off all day. So, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate that, 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 that we're able to get beyond some of the vernacular that I might use and actually be able to listen uh, to the, some of the wisdom that I might have even been, been espousing in that quote right there. So, you know, I, I, pre- I really appreciate that start to this podcast guys. Thank you. And I hope that I
1: don't disappoint. <laughs> exactly. Hey bro, we see you, we, we see, we see you out here, bro. We, we ain't judging you based off those one interviews.
0: One of the first uh, videos I searched up about you was a flow track video and the title was anime and chicken, but <laughs> I know you, you're more than, I know you're way more than anime and chicken. So we're definitely going to, have some great conversations to say the least bro but before we get more into it and Aaron already mentioned it by this podcast come out it's either going to be election day the day before the election day or we'll probably know most of you guys by your time you're listening to this you're going to know who our next president is so but just how has everything just been for you with the training with training uh the combination of the election and then everything else going on in 2020 from the pandemic Black Lives Matter. I know that's a loaded question, but wherever Hold you want on, to take it, you
2: have to ask one at a time, man, because that is <laughs> that is too many. That's too many things to answer. Like election, I got real specific feelings about that. My training, I got real specific feelings about that. Uh, what, what you want to hear about first?
1: How do you balance it all? How do you? Because there's so much going on this year. I mean, for everyone, like 2020 has definitely, I would say, affected everybody and changed our lives in somehow, shape, or form. But how have you balanced that with just like with running and pursuing, you know, just like ultimately your goals in life?
2: Honestly, it's it's been interesting. On On one hand, I almost feel like training wise, not much changes. Right. Like it's it's simple. Right. Like, look, what do you do uh, when there's no pandemic? Well, you run every day, you run twice most days and you go ahead and get about your business. You know, you do your stretch and you do your PT. You got got an hour of yoga done early today, you know, so, so it's all those kinds of things. Um, And on the other hand, obviously, like, it it feels like life-wise, a lot has changed, right? Like, I'm not going out of the house doing nearly as much stuff, right? I see fewer friends for, you know, a good six months there. I saw no friends. But it's the kind of thing where, it's just the kind of thing where where training-wise, it almost feels like not much is different. It's just that you don't know when the next time you're going to be racing is. And one thing that's exciting about it for me is I'm really, you know, I, I love doing this, right? Like I love getting out of bed. I honestly love getting out and going for those 10 mile runs and, and having my time to kind of just like be in my head and, and think and be out on the road. So so for me, there's definitely been a beauty uh, of the pandemic in that at the very least with my training, I'm able to kind of like spend that time in my head um, and be out there and just like appreciate training for for what it is. Uh, but it's also just weird not knowing when the next time i a going race is, right? Like, it, it feels like there's been some uh, opportunities, but nothing super serious around the Northeast. I'm not super crazy about traveling anytime soon. And it really is feeling like, you know, if you start looking at the coronavirus numbers, both here in Rhode Island, nationwide, yeah. and especially in Europe, where they kind of, uh, they contained it well the first time, but have been opening up more. It feels like they, you, there's a there's a chance we'll be in a second lockdown. Uh, probably not because it's super politically impossible at this point. Um, but at the very least it's going to be localized lockdowns. There's going to be greater restrictions on, on different, um, different activities.
0: Were you able to get any, uh, time trials or, uh, races in, uh, this past 2020 or, well, at least after the indoor season, were you able to get anything like in, in at all?
2: So when the indoor season, uh, ended, like we just went on a break from, from training. We were like, all right, whatever. Like there's no Olympics Uh, So I took some time off and just, like, uh, then my knee was hurting for a little bit. There was nothing actually wrong with it, but I think Mm -hmm. I had to figure out some, like, structural or some mechanical deficiencies that were causing uh, just, like, random pain while I was running. So we just went ahead and, like, you know, started doing more PT, and that was kind of the impetus for me going ahead and and, and focusing on the basics, focusing on my body as an athlete. Uh, And so it was, like, Mm -hmm. having a little bit more time uh, and really being able to invest that energy in my body, I think that the number one thing. Uh, take this down, Josh. Since you're actually still still competing in college, the most important thing to getting better as an athlete is being able to be consistent. It's not it's not just about all these fancy that. things. It's not about all these, you know. It's not about uh, cryogenic ta- chambers. Uh, it's not about having this exact perfect workout. It's just like how many years can you put miles on top of the last year?
1: Yeah, and that seems like a a common a common theme um, with athletes that we've brought on everyone has always like talked about that little silver lining or focusing on what you can do to improve instead of focusing on what you can't because of all the restrictions that we're facing in the world right now um and we talked about this a little bit earlier with you know this podcast possibly possibly being released on election day can you talk a little bit about um what what is that at what do you feel like is at stake for us um, especially you being, we'll, we'll go on a little bit deeper into this later. But growing up, you know, being a black and Jewish man, like what what is at stake with this election, and why is it so important to get out there and vote?
2: Well not now. You guys are not black Republicans, are you?
1: <laughs> no, <Nah>. all, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> we just two, gonna, we're, two <laughs> we're just two black winners, We're just two black winners. <laughs>
2: I'm not gonna. I made that book in the pre in the pre show. I still had to make it again. Like, (laughs) 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 Uh, you know, before I get out here, start talking politics and everything. But I I mean, I mean, I think fundamentally, it's obvious, right? Like this, that the that the um the the status of our democracy is like literally at stake right now, right? Um, before you start talking about policies and everything uh, and the implications that this is going to have on different communities, uh, especially communities of color, but just like low income people, um, people with disabilities, et cetera. Like, I think there's like a fundamental uh, question of whether or not this election is going to be legitimate. And to be in a position where you have a president and an entire political party who is, who is suggesting that if he does not win... That it's because of fraud, that it's because the the system is messed up, is fundamentally dangerous to the to the, the even the illusion of democracy that that exists here in this country, and so I think that that don't get me wrong, right? Like I'm not someone who's out here like Joe Biden is the answer and the solution uh, and going to be like long term equality for all mm-hmm. uh, black people, people of color, et cetera. Um, but you simply cannot have a president who will get on the who 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 will get in a debate and not denounce white supremacy. You simply cannot have a president who's encouraging conspiracy theorists like QAnon. Like he's getting up in the debate and saying like, "Oh, uh, QAnon, I, I hear they're very anti pedophilia. <laughs> like that's that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> like QAnon is not a good thing. Like you you <laughs> you, you, you cannot <laughs> like you cannot be encouraging people who like believe Democrats are drinking children's blood. And I think that. Even beyond that, when you look at at what has happened with the, uh, really candidly, with the Republican Party, um, you know, I'm from St. Louis, right? And and the dudes who are out here pointing guns at people on the street were in St. Louis, right? Like that's the, I have friends in, in that city. Um, that's that's where my family is from, and it's it's candid. Like, there's something existentially scary about the fact that a major political party in this country is at the point where pointing your guns at Black people, at people protesting for Black lives, is something that makes you a folk hero enough to be asked to present at a national oh. convention. Like, that is existentially scary as a person, as a Black person, as far as the, the policies uh, that, as far as if that's your worldview, then what policies is your party you wanna be trying to, to pass? And if you watched the Barack Obama speech um, at Lincoln Financial Field, it was a really great speech. He was talking about Trump and being like, "How how is that possible? He's like, how is it possible uh, that he has like a Chinese bank account, all these things? But but one of the uh, things he really Beijing says here is, is these actions have consequences. And these are not things that are just going to happen tomorrow, right? It's not like we're going to wake up uh, tomorrow and Trump is going to have been able to do all of these things but you have a country where black wealth is projected to go to zero by 2030 according to some studies uh and and what is a president like that going to do to make sure that things like that do not happen what what is a president like that going to do to make sure that the people who are either like incarcerated wrongly uh people who who don't have access to health care don't have access to child like what is a president like that going to do to make sure those communities are protected and i think you all know the answer
1: absolutely nothing <laughs> but um <laughs> like, that's <a> mistake, right
3: <laughs> but that's definitely so what it, not, not definitely what it feels much.
1: like that's what definitely what it feels like and like if you say everything you said like like yeah it it definitely as a black person you know seeing people being crazed for having guns um pointed at people protesting for black lives matter or like you know you know what i mean and you think about the history of this country and um the history of this country with black people has has not been good like no matter how how you put it like it hasn't it hasn't been good bro so like when you see people with guns against people saying black lives matter as a black person i mean what do y'all think we going we going that don't look that don't look good that don't look good for us it does not look good yeah.
0: and and one thing i want to point out is like you were talking a lot about like just like Trump's morals as well as like he wouldn't denounce white supremacy and all that type of stuff. And I, I just feel like morally like to, to vote for a person like Trump and I, I just feel like the I just feel like having having a leader like that and how he how he presents himself from the very beginning has just been questionable. Like, I don't know if I want this person to lead me to be the, the example of, of our country. And what's really interesting to me is that we have a conservative town that's like right next to us, and we always run through it. And there's a lot of like Trump 2020 flags, like every one, every one out of five house has one or something up. And today I saw a flag that said like Jesus is my savior and Trump is my president, and it's really like things like that. It just makes it it's it's questionable to me because I'm, I'm I'm just thinking like I I don't know if. I, does, does, does his beliefs really line up with with jesus and it's something that something that like i question every single day and i don't see i don't see how people can think that type of way i, I don't know that's that was really something weird that i seen today that was a weird flag to say the least.
1: if you ever if you ever though like for me in general like it doesn't even matter trump biden if someone had biden is my president and trump is my biden is my president jesus is my savior like if you're putting a politician in the same lane as jesus as as a religious like person people that praise and worship like that's a that's an issue like
2: that's an issue It's an issue well it it, it, it's what you realize when you start looking at these conspiracy theories right And 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 the things people are saying um what's what's so difficult about it is exactly what you're just saying right it's this idea that that a politician is up there with jesus
3: yeah now listen
2: yeah. i might work at hillel right so i'm I'm obviously jewish i don't believe in jesus but i but I, i'm obviously in like a, a religious um setting but yeah. but there's a lot of lack of logic that comes with religion this idea of faith uh and 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 really a lot of it has to do with identity too when you talk about being a jewish person being a, a christian uh is not something that is like rational and not something that's about like doing the best thing for, like, real-life tangible consequences. It did not come out of, of reasonable uh, current uh, policies, right? And what's so incredibly frustrating is this idea that if you start asking – like, if you start asking people about, like, what policies – so my mom's a doctor, right? And she she's back in St. Louis – or she was back in St. Louis. She recently moved. But she would say, I'm in South County, which is – or, sorry, she she was in North County is where she worked, but there would be a fair number of white people who would see her out there too. Uh, and North County is like a primary. North County is like where Ferguson is. She wasn't working in Ferguson. Okay. She was working in a, a more in a whiter area of North County. Um, but but she would say, there's all these people who who are poor and they're complaining about uh, the fact that they can't afford their health care and the fact that they can't pay for their health care. Uh, and we're and we're talking about poor white people in Missouri, in other words, a demographic that is overwhelmingly going to be voting uh, red every single year, and it's yeah. it's it, 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 it's 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 existentially frustrating. You know, I was explaining this to a friend the other day who's Japanese. I explained him politics uh, in America, and just it's frustrating this idea that people just want to make sure uh, black people don't get anything, or that this idea of this their identity, that their politics uh, is more important. You know, th- their identity with what they, who they who they believe is doing things right, right? Like Republicans are doing things right, liberals are just a bunch of elites and and out of touch with reality. And that idea being what fuels their entire ideologies and the decisions they decide to make. And that's incredibly frustrating and candidly just like hurtful as a black person.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. like we like the system. The system really wasn't wasn't set up set up for us either way. So that's another whole thing that's frustrating on, like, I don't know, for me personally, I've gotten to a point where, like, you asked us if we're black Republicans, like, I don't even say I'm I'm not a black Democrat either. Like, honestly, I'm at a point where it's like, I'm just like, I'm a black person. Like, I'm black, like, I'm Christian, you know, I, I run, like, those are the things like I identify with. You know, I don't really, I'm not gonna be super identified in, like, politics especially when the when the politics and the policies that started this country really weren't made made for me so it's yeah. hard to i
2: mean that, that's an understatement
1: yeah like <laughs> you
2: were a slave in the politics that made this country
1: like exactly, not made for you
2: girl. right like it's, it's ridiculous
1: yeah but we're getting and, and the, wow.
2: the other There's the other thing too i would suggest like if you guys ever talk to your parents about it i don't know how old are your parents
0: uh 56 and 53, I believe, or yeah. a little bit older.
1: No, yeah.
2: So they're like a little bit younger than my parents. You know, my dad's white, my mom's black. Um, And so I asked my mom, actually, the other day, I was like, do you have memories? I was like, wait a second, my mom was born in 59, right? So if one of your parents is 56, they're old enough that they were born before the Civil Rights Act, right? Mm-hmm. I said, mom, you got memories from Jim Crow? And she's like, when back in st louis i couldn't even like like, like it was like you knew, you knew you didn't go to bevo mill like you did if you're a black person you didn't go to after dark she says she was in college and she and she was in tennessee she went to uh she went to residency sorry so residency so that's when she's like 25. Mm-hmm. uh and she was and she saw a whites only sign at a water fountain and i think it's, it's this idea where people act like it's ancient history like it's not something that affects us uh, like it's right. not something and, and it's a nice myth right because because if you're a white person you get to feel really good about your grandparents and parents that way when you're not thinking about the fact that these are a lot of the people who were out here like, like like my mom couldn't drink from the same water fountain as someone else's mom at the same age when she was born and acting like that doesn't have some effect on our society that, that's my mom
1: yeah no yeah like our grand my grand father told me he was 13 when Emmett Till when Emmett Till got killed you know he told us about the brown paper bag test you know you were darker than a brown paper bag you ain't getting into the club so it's like and yeah my dad has definitely had things that have happened to him like I don't know like and it's definitely how could you not think those times affect right now and because it's really not it's like you said it's not that it's not that long ago like, my grandfather is still is still living and breathing. You know what I'm saying? He's only, like, 80? Yeah. He just turned 80. Yeah. I mean, our yeah. presidents, the people are running, they in their late 70s. <laughs>
2: That's so real. That's so real.
1: And I'm just like, bro, That's that, so real. it's it's insane to when you really think about it like that.
2: And you know what I want to ask anyone who's listening to this who doesn't support things like Black Lives Matter or doesn't believe racism exists in this country right now is, at what point in history... When black people have been like racism exists, at what point has standing up against them been the right thing to do? Was it the right thing to do in slavery? Was it the right thing to do in the 50s during Jim Crow when we still couldn't vote? Was it the right thing to do during Reconstruction when when we weren't getting 40 acres in the mule? Was it the right thing to do when, when we were being lynched? Yeah. If if you don't stand up right now in support of Black Lives, then then, then then tell me when that was the right decision in history. Show me in history when we have been lying.
0: Jeez, we needed you like 15 weeks ago in this other <laughs> podcast. But I'll, I'll bring i we, we could talk about that off the we talk about that off the air. Some of y'all know what we talk about. But uh, from what hey, we well, just said,
2: I'll shout send... you out real quick, man, because you know I know you have Molly Huddle on this podcast. Molly Huddle lives in my city. She's in. The same, we got the same coach now. She might be a bigger profile runner than me, but I'm black, man. It's the Black Runners podcast. I don't like Molly on here before me.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sorry about that, bro. I'm sorry, Molly. Molly, we, Molly shouted. A, she shouted us out first. I was like, dang, Molly messed with us. So we got her on. We got her on. But we do appreciate having you on finally on. Like it is it, breath fresh air for sure. Uh But I know, I know from the first twenty minutes of this podcast, we definitely had some people click away. But uh, I think it's just going to be an uncomfortable podcast like that. And we like having these uncomfortable conversations. But before we get dive more into that, I want to get more into this this little bit of running stuff and just what you've been doing for what you've been doing and running. But I want to start back when you were a kid in Missouri. Like, was it always your dream to be a professional runner? Like, was that always the dream when you were a kid? No,
2: no, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I did not have an inkling that I was going to be a professional runner. Until, um, I guess, like there was some point where, like, you know, during my senior graduation at high school, my high school coach was like, "and this guy could be successful at any level, even the pro level." But the thing was, man, I wasn't the best guy on my high school team. Like,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I don't know if you know. Um, first of all, I wasn't that great of a high school athlete, right? As you might have seen in a couple of interviews that I've talked about, you know, I was like 9:34, 4:29 in the in the 3200 and, and 1600. That's not even the mile. That's the that's the 1600. That's not even a sub yeah. four thirty miler, right? Uh, and, and so for me, it was, it was never about the idea of, of going pro. It was just that I liked doing it. I was like pretty good in high school and I knew I wanted to do it in college. Um, you guys know who Amos Bartelsmeier is?
1: No, he's a
2: kid who just joined Bowerman, uh, German kid runs for Germany. Uh, so he, he was actually on my high school team, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he was the one who was always he he was the one who who was supposed to make it you know he was he did soccer his first couple years but we all saw him run and he was clearly a prodigy like he ran you know as a freshman in high school he was running like 150 whatever sophomore he ran like 153 um yeah and ended up being like you know multi uh, holds all our school records from the 400 to the 1600 right um, and is a really talented runner. Right. And I'm out here, of course, like now, like, man, I'm pretty good at this point. Hold on. Like, why would you talking about, like, you know? Like, I'm, I'm like as good as Amos. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, Bowerman, but, like, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm up there. You know what I'm saying? Like, We're not talking we talk about me even in the same, in the same light right now.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: but it, it definitely, um, you know, he, he was a way better athlete than me. And he, he, he does have a certain level of like purity in the way he runs and, and talent. Um, That is like that was apparent from a really, really long time ago. So it's been really like, you know, I never had this idea that I was supposed to be the best guy. There were a couple of guys too that I didn't like uh, at the school down the road from us, used to practice on our track. And one of them was like a 4.07 high school miler. I think the other one might've run like 4.11 or something like that. Now I'm faster than all of them in every single event now, but it's the kind of thing where, it's the kind of thing where, where, when you grow up looking at guys like that right down the street from you and on your own team, it's never about this idea of, like, I want to go be a pro runner. I think I can go be the best. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of about trying to, trying to be the best athlete I could be. And so that's that's really what it's always been uh, been about for me, and that's what it's still about.
1: That's dope. It sounds like you're, like, very, you know, people always like to say, like, life is a marathon. Like, just run, run your race. Like, you weren't, like, looking around, comparing yourself to these other people really, you're just doing it for the purity and like the love of the sport. But was there a moment like how did you get onto the track team?
2: Well I'll say real quick, you know, it's it's not to say that I never um it's not to say that I never uh it's not to say that I never compared myself to people, right? Like in my head it was always like, Oh yeah, like I'm not talented as Amos. Like then you, you hear the way now where I talk about uh those couple guys who I didn't like uh, down the road for me. We used to play Call of Duty together. That Call of Duty with them was real fun, man. It was like Call of Duty Black Ops One, uh, watching Chris Smooth videos and Chris and getting
0: hey, hey, a throwback. Chris like,
2: Smooth, Jimmy, like. I still <laughs> watch throwback. him. I still watch him for for my you for my NBA commentary, man. That's how I can do the NBA. Funny.
0: That's Flash. Splash. Look at Splash, man. <laughs> that's <laughs> hilarious, bro. That's a new move, bro. <laughs> Get that guy a map. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a manual, gang. Man. <laughs> Give
2: him a manual. Uh, you know, so it, it, it was the kind of thing where you know, I was. It's not to say I was never comparing with other people, um, but I, my also my, my entire goals in the sport weren't about trying to compare to other people. It was about it, it was that my goals in the sport were about trying to accomplish what I could accomplish, and and that's why you hear me talk the way I talk right now when it comes to. Uh, these guys, uh, these guys that like Amos or or really like, you know, just even saying, talking about how many guys I'm faster than who used to be faster than me is for all the, for all the, uh, you know, it's not false bravado, right? There's no, there's no, there's no making. um, I'm not trying to front, like I'm something bigger than what I am, but, but you will never take anything away from me that I accomplished. I'm incredibly proud of all of it. And all the brown guys like to make jokes about like, ah, like, you know, I'm a volunteer coach. Let me say jokes like, ah, J-Man, like, I'll beat you at this. I don't even let them make jokes about that. And that's why it's still like <laughs> making fun of me because I'm sitting there and I take it seriously. But I say you won't make a joke that, that takes away anything I've ever accomplished in this sport. Because I work for that and and I'm proud of it.
0: Yeah, I just like, man, this man's a dog, Aaron. This man's a dog. I just I'm like, saying. just from w- when you started talking, I can just tell that you, you kind of, did you run with kind of like always like that type of chip on your shoulder? I know you kind of talked about it, but like do you feel like you have a sort of a chip on your shoulder when you when you run?
2: I mean, yeah, you know, like like in my mind there's no one who's supposed to be there less than I was supposed to be there. I like guess that's simple. There's no there's no there's no one there's no one else out there who who who, who goes back to their high school as as a 339-826-750-1327 guy. And and is listening to everyone talk about how talented some other guy is. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, no no one else is doing that. And don't get me wrong, I love my high school coach. You know, I'm not coming out here really trying to call him out. It sound it might sound like I'm really trying to trying to get him like that, but there's no one else who does that, right? Like, 4:29. Like who, who who's the last guy? Who's the last guy who's at my level right now? Who who didn't break 4:30 in the full mile in high school?
1: I can't name them. I don't know. I, I have to really research on that. I don't know. Right.
2: <laughs> like, there are stories, right? I think Isaac Updike was also, you know, he's another guy who's, who's you know, run pretty fast. And he's, he's a pretty similar profile. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Like, we're out there, right? Like, I'm not sitting here being like I'm the only one. But I sit here and I look at the path that, that I was supposed to be on and the path that a lot of other guys that my whole career I've been looked at. and, and, and told we're supposed to be on. And I, and and they've been told they were supposed to be on that path and they've been, and they've been told they were going to make it to this level. And I sit here and I say, listen, like I'm here and I'm incredibly proud of it. And, and every time I step on the line, uh, it's knowing that I can do, uh, it's knowing that I can get the best out of myself. And on some days that might be good enough. And on some days it might not. And, and good enough also, uh, you know, good enough shifts, sometimes right like mm-hmm. like coming fifth um you know if this was you know two years, last year i came i came 10th in the final of the steeplechase i had a knee injury and i hadn't run for about three weeks since the sunset tour until the steeplechase if you if that if you switch those two years 10th is like an amazing success and i'm incredibly excited to come 10th in the u.s in the steeplechase i don't even care yeah. what happened in the final. after i came fifth and had the whole fall that i did and was out here whooping dudes Uh, in the steeplechase in the spring i was incredibly disappointed to finish 10th right with with jager out too i I think there's no chance i finish worse than fourth uh if i'm healthy and and if i'm healthy and ready to go but that's kind of the nature of of the beast you know the the one thing i can guarantee every time i get on the track is 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 i'm gonna get the best out of myself that's it
1: so you you have like this like i love that you have like this chip on your shoulder and this and this confidence and like you have like this like knowing like you know you know you get the best of yourself how did that develop did that did you develop that like as you went into college at at brown or is that something that you developed through your high school career
2: man that is a good question I (laughs) mean I feel like I need to think about that but you know it definitely wasn't something that I feel like I always had but I know I always had the desire to do it right like I know when I got on the track I wanted to beat the Everett, so I knew when I got on the track, I wanted uh, to, to to try and like win an Ivy League championship. Those kinds of things. Um, we definitely learned a lot about, you know, I definitely learned a lot about just like learning how to race and be focused and 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 just to accomplish what I, you know, just 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 to really be locked in on the task and like observe what's going on in the race. In, in my time at Brown, um, but I, I t- the moment that I really recognized I think this capacity I, I don't know what it was but at some point during my fifth year uh, when I went over to Providence at some point during that year I cannot tell you what happened but I was doing a warm-up for a 3k uh, I think it was the BU Valentine invite and I was warming up with my teammate Liam and we're just talking about the race and I said to Liam that day I said Liam honestly I cannot imagine myself screwing this up. <laughs> I said, I I I I just couldn't imagine. I said, something might go wrong, but it's not gonna be because I wasn't ready mentally or because I had any kind of collapse or, or anything that way. I said, I cannot even imagine myself doing anything to getting the job done when I get on the on the track today. I have no idea what what caused that, but it was, but 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 that was really a formative moment for me. Uh, in the sense that, like, I, for for whatever set of circumstances happened from high school all the way through college, all the way through the fall of that fifth year, I knew by that point that when I stepped on a set foot on the track, uh, if I had it that day, it was going, like, you were going to see it. It was that, you know, it was that simple. And, and that race actually is a pretty funny race because I went in with two goals. Uh, one was run about 7.52, 7.53 to make it to NCAA's indoors. And the other one was beat Amos, who I just talked about. He was a, I think he was a junior at Georgetown at this point. He was going to be in the race. And the only reason I wasn't trying to break four in the mile that day was to try and beat Amos. He dated my sister and everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, like oh, nice. me and this man, we had a – we had, a, D, we had a, this goes hey. <laughs> It goes deep. We, we were like best friends, and then he dated my sister. Uh, and then – and then I. I could have handled that more maturely. Okay. I could have handled that more maturely. I was, I was like 19. I probably Uh should have handled it more maturely, but I was 19. Uh Uh, And now we're of course close again, because you can't be stupid about that for, for, for 10 years. Uh, But I went on that race saying, I got to beat this guy. As, as the race goes, I, uh, you know, I break away from him maybe around 2200. And on the last lap, I tie up. And I end up running seven fifty-seven and he and he beats me by about two hundredths of a second coming from behind, just nipping me at the line.
3: Mm.
2: And the, you know what? Like when when I crossed that line I said, you know what, man, I'm not even mad because I didn't accomplish anything that I, I came out here just like saying I wanted to accomplish, but I just tried so hard.
3: Yeah. No, <laughs> I yeah. tried
2: so hard. I like I, I left everything I had out there. I have nothing to be ashamed about or, 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 or dis- like, I can't be disappointed about this because I just put everything I could out there. Uh, and that was a really proud moment for me. That, that That's kind of like the second moment where I realized that I knew I could do that. And I think that was the moment where I realized that as long as I did that, that was enough.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what the, the best athletes do. Like you see, I'll even go into like a different sports, like basketball, like LeBron James, you know, game 6, game 7 or whatever, like those those good athletes, they know like they turn it on a, a switch and they just put everything they have. Now, now maybe sometimes it doesn't work out and they they don't win it, but they know how to just get everything out of themselves and to be able to do that consistent consistently is definitely a skill, but I also feel like what you just said shows like maturity too. Like you're confident within yourself that you're going to be able to, you're not as nervous when you know that you could put everything you have just out onto this event to do your best. Like, why would you even think anything's going to go wrong? Because you already prepared, you did all the training, and if you're putting everything into it, I mean, me and Joshua, when we do a podcast, when we do these rundowns and everything, that's part of the reason. I'm like, this is going to be the best one. Like, because <laughs> I know what well, I know. do like we say that
2: because I'm on here but you know I'm just saying
1: <laughs> hey that's a big part of me that's a big part of it. I was like this is the best guest <laughs> that we ever had <laughs> and this is gonna be the best podcast we're gonna ask the best questions that we ever have like because I don't know I think that just comes with maturity I also wanted to ask you like so you went to I you went to Brown which is Ivy League school right. and right, everything man. too and like did you have a, this this attitude that you have like for running is that something that was kind of instilled with your parents, like with school and just like everything that you do?
2: That's hard to say. You know, on one hand, I definitely do have a high level of confidence when it comes to getting things done. But I also feel like there's like a chicken and egg kind of thing there where like it could like there's some part of it that definitely comes from the way, you know, my parents raised me and just like the capability I had in things like school when I was younger. Um, But there's also some level of it that, that comes with the fact that like when you are able to do something like running right it's like i talked to i have this one friend i haven't talked to her in a while but like she uh runs a hedge fund in boston she's like a forbes like 30 under 30 i met her at an anime convention so you, know, you dress up like anime characters uh, <laughs> i know right and like it, <laughs> it's, it was wild like you just don't know who you're meeting yeah. at these things it's crazy um but but every time you know we talk about learning japanese and she's like oh my god like you're so disciplined like how do you do that and I'm like, you run a hedge fund.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: I've, I've been to your house. Like, you live in this. You, you you live in a very nice apartment. Like, you have all this money. Like, like you know, she's like, she's talking about her boyfriend and like, oh, like like oh, the nicest thing he ever bought me as a gift was like, a flight to a vacation. i was like, you got a man who's buying you vacations. <laughs> you got a man who's buying you vacations. I can't buy. I, I couldn't buy my girlfriend a trip to, I couldn't buy my girlfriend a trip to like Cape Cod. You know what I'm saying? I, I i i I couldn't afford any of that. I'm sitting out here, you know, not making very much money and I make just about nothing from running. And so I sit here and, and be like, you are so successful and, and you're out here talking about how disciplined and impressive I am.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
2: You know, it. it's crazy, but it's one of those things where running uh, in a lot of ways, just the ability to say, I know how to build my life around something that I'm going to do every single day, like year round, twice a lot of days, just that knowing that I have that ability to do that is a really substantial, uh, it's really beneficial for me um, going, it's, it's really beneficial for me in in, in like everything else I choose to do in my life, right? Like when I say I'm going to learn Japanese, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that every single day now great like i know how to do that
0: yeah thanks so like was did your did your academics get better like once you were in high school and that helped you get into get into brown like was that like getting that uh discipline and running helped you better just in uh academics as well or was it always just kind of natural and then going into brown
2: uh, my, the academics were always good for me mm,
0: just easy I, I feel you i feel you on that I feel i'm not saying
2: that. easy like i worked hard right i worked yeah. hard.
0: Um, it's something you have to do.
2: But but yeah, right. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously like what most of your life is built around. And I, so I live one year with my grandma down in, in North St. Louis city. And everywhere we go, my grandma says, I, you know, she could be get she could be buying a printer and the printer doesn't have the right color ink. And she'll be like, well, well, uh, Mr. Staples guy, well, I was an educator. Uh, so I <laughs> <laughs> was a principal, right. You know, way back mm. in the day. I think 91 last year. Uh, So it's it's the kind of thing where where education and the value of education has always been paramount uh, in my family. Just 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 from the values that, you know, she was passing down to to my mom and and passing down and that being passed down to me, you know. So there's no there's never any question I was going to, you know, whatever I was capable of achieving uh, academically, I was going to do that
1: so then that ends up with you you know you go to brown for your first first four years Were you recruited there you got there on like acad- academics and just decided to join the team
2: yeah i got there on academics i had talked to coach springfield um you know i like 429 934 i wasn't really a recruitable uh, athlete and so i talked to coach springfield um a couple times uh, and he was like hey if you come here you can walk on and so i did
1: what was your first, and then the steeplechase, like what were cause you said 429, 935, like how did you end up in, on doing the steeple? Was that something you were interested in? Cause yeah, it, it's always like that event it nobody's was, trying to do.
2: It was totally random, man. Like I I remember we were doing hurdle walkovers and things like that. And Springfield was like, Hey, who wants to, um, Springfield was like, who wants to do, uh, who has decent hip flexibility? Who should come to steeplechase practice? And no one said my name, but I was like, can I come? And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, so, and so I started going to steeplechase practice. And I was hurt for a couple years, my first couple years there, just you know, when I was young and everything. Um, but then by the time junior year came around and I and I kind of put a real full, healthy year together, uh, I made it to regionals uh, the first round in the steeplechase. So there it was.
0: Yeah, then you start to see like a lot of success. You're at Brown, and then you you go on you go on to Providence, but then I I kind of want to stick on Brown now because, like you said, you're a volunteer coach there now or assistant coach there now, and you still evolved with the school. But uh, earlier this year, Brown men's dragon field almost lost like their program. Could you just walk us through like how that process was for you and how you guys really fought to get that thing reinstated?
2: Yeah, man, that was uh that was a that was a whole experience, man. It was so the the moment it was canceled, like you start seeing like I I think I was playing Mafia with my friends. I don't know if you know the game Mafia, like the one where it's yes. like, you know, everyone close your eyes. Like, you know, who's ma- mm. Mafia? Open your eyes. Who do you want to kill? Uh, so I'm playing Mafia on Zoom during quarantine with a bunch of my friends. Right. Uh, and so I, I my phone's blowing up. and I'm like, whatever. I'll answer all these calls later. So I, I check my phone and my friend Mo is texting me like, yo, did you see this? And I was like, I'm like, I don't know what she's talking about so I go on Facebook and everything's posting about like Brown track getting canceled and everything. So now I got to, I, I got to start making the calls, making all the texts to everyone who like called me, texted me, those kinds of things. And, and, uh, and I, and we, there was this giant Facebook group that was creative Brown track and field uh, and XC alumni, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just everyone who was you know involved with the program and had any kind of a desire to be involved with, with the, the fight uh, or just like kind of bringing everyone together. So I go on the um, so I go on the, the page, and it's really just like a, a giant amalgam of like everyone's posting all these things, like some of which are interesting, some of which are like not super helpful, and some of which are just like really a lot of emotion going around. Because obviously, when your program's cut, there's just like a lot of uh, emotion uh, going yeah. around, right? Like there's a lot of there's a lot of, of hurt uh, and and frustration. Uh, and so I get on a call and I'm like, listen, like people need to like figure out how to like th- th- this, this, this is not cohesive. Like this is not helpful. Like we're not actually going to get anything done this way. Like you had seen people talk about the effect that it has on black student athletes and diversity and you know, all these random um, statistics that are coming out. Cause you have people who are looking at random stats, but there's no uh, organization and no cohesive messaging uh, around it. So I make a phone call to, you know, I think my, to my friend Mo, and we also call uh, Bryn Smith, who if you follow the stories at all in the New York Times, you know, she was kind of like the head point person for everything in the end. And we said, listen, we got to get two things done. We got to get an organizational structure and we got to get a clear, cohesive message that when we start trying to get the story out places is going to be an like the actual thing that everyone needs to be uh, echoing. Mm-hmm. And that was really the, the important piece, right? Like, because we wanted to start talking about the, the exploitation of, of NCAA athletes and really, like, of the of, of system of NCAA athletics um, in the way that it tends to, especially at Ivy League schools, benefit uh, white upper class families. Because you have all these sports, you got a laundry list of sports that a place like Brown has. You got, you know, crew, uh, lacrosse, uh, sailing got promoted to varsity when track got cut. Right, uh, yeah, you had crazy. It right, smart. it was crazy. <laughs> you had a we, we, you had you have equestrian, though they got cut too. Like you have, I mean, soccer in America is a very white sport. Like you have all of these sports that are only accessible to white people. There's a great article in the Atlantic that recently came out that I that I you know recommend anyone read just about the way that this this false meritocracy around sports uh, is beginning to collapse because there are so many. Uh, rich white parents trying to force their kids into into sports sidebar um but but what you have is a school that's 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 creating opportunities for sailors and taking opportunities away for track athletes and that was mm-hmm. the message we really wanted to to send like this clear that that's what's happening uh and and that's and so that's actually what, what we were really planning on starting to, to get together and talk about. And then Russell Dinkins wrote that op-ed, right? Yeah. Uh, talking about the, the you know, hey, I think it was called, hey, Brown, if you really care about racial diversity, then you wouldn't be cutting your track team.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so what we, you know, basically it became a lot of like pushing that article, creating organizational structures that are really around creating that message. And really like we had to make a lot of phone calls and say, listen, if you're talking to the press you're like not – you're going out to talk about why this matters because no one cares uh, that you thought your kid could have gone pro. Yeah. No one cares that you that, – that, that, that an Ivy League – that a bunch of Ivy League kids are not going to have a track team. Like, and, and and candidly, that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. What does matter is that you have a school that ha, that, that, that is generally a place that's able to create – uh, open doors for people right like one of my team captains was Irish he was a poor kid from Ireland came over and this was literally hit the the door to the American dream for him yeah and you have a school shutting that door for some people and opening it for a bunch of sailors like that's that's, that's, that's it you know? And, and, and so it was all just about pushing, pushing that narrative and making sure it was clear that, that, that organizationally that, that people who were talking about it, about the story were talking about that, not about like, I thought I could have gone pro. Mm-hmm.
0: And wasn't it, uh, I'm going to get this right. Wasn't it like two weeks, like before that, the, the president of Brown, wasn't she like preaching like diversity like at the school in like some type of way I remember in some well, type of like the
2: George Floyd, Floyd protest. The first thing is they, yeah. they were saying that the, that the, that the, the, the decision uh, was in line with their uh, diversity initiatives. Uh, they actually mm. said that in the announcement, wow. which is, is <laughs> bewildering. Uh, but furthermore, they, you know, during the George Floyd, Floyd protest, like Brown athletics was like, you know, sending out Instagram interviews of coaches Uh, they were, they were sending out Instagram interviews of, uh, it was like during the blackout day, they were putting out Instagram interviews, like coaches when everyone else was like posting black squares, like they're coming out talking about racial diversity. Uh, and it's about the fact that like functionally, uh, this, this took away opportunity for for black athletes or for black people, excuse me, and gave them to, to white athletes. And then that's what it would have done. Now, I do think the school learned, right? I don't think that they were were deliberately malicious in this, but I think this is one of the things where it's so important about increasing, um, one of the things that's so important about increasing representation in a lot of places is just having people who who think a slightly different way to be able to give that, that input.
1: Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, I think that whole experience made people just look at, those type of situations differently. Cause yeah, it's not just the track team. It's opportunities, especially like, yeah, with the Minnesota case as well. Like we talked, we talked to Opsa Ali and we talked to Hassan Mead and everything. And like, it was just seeing like that um, Haroon and Opsa and uh, Hassan Mead all had like very similar stories all from like East African countries, you know, like, Opsa and um, he didn't even think about going to college and all these opportunities it's led for them. So there has to be like, you, there's no denying like there's another kid that that door just got, just got shut on if they, if they would have cut the team in, entirely. So I think we're going to keep seeing schools trying to cut teams and stuff with everything going on, but I think it's going to be a battle. Cause like, yeah, started off with Brown with you guys being reinstated and fighting, and I think that's it. Just I think it's good to let all these schools know, like, hey, if you cut our teams, like, and there's really no good justification at all, you're gonna there's gonna be pushback. We're not just gonna let that happen.
2: Exactly, and you know it's the kind of thing too where we talk about, uh, where we talk about, where we talk about like what's at stake this election too, and we're talking about the. Um, we're talking about things like uh, the economy right now and, and our handling of a pandemic, obviously there's also like what would happen uh, if there were future pandemics. But, but one of the things that you see too, when we talk about this representation and, and talk about ways that systems give opportunities to white people and remove them for black people, uh, the way the economy is, is bouncing back, uh, black unemployment is still high. It's taken a lot longer to bounce back than, than employment for, for the overall economy or for white people. And I think that's one of the things that people are really consider when we talk about what structural inequality looks like as opposed to just inequality by, by socioeconomic status uh, or, or, or other metrics.
0: Yeah, that wealth gap is still huge. That wealth gap is like still enormous. And right. st- yeah, yeah, that wealth gap is, is still crazy. But yeah, we, we talk about Brown. You spend your four years there, but you still have ties to another university in Providence College as you went there. For your fifth year and you even talked to, you told us before that like that's a common thing for um people at ivs to do and just what made you go into that decision to go to providence for that last year and you kind of really, you popped you popped off that's where you really you made your ncaa team you made your ncaa's uh second all team just what went into that decision and how 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 did you get to that how did you get to that 838 at the end of the year in the steeplechase
2: yeah. So, I mean, that was my fifth year. And so, so in a lot of, Ivy, a lot of Ivy leaguers, um, basically you only have four, basically in the Ivy league, you can't go to grad school and continue competing. Oh, okay. So, and you also can't have financial, there's no financial aid at, uh, there's no financial aid at the, um, at the, in the Ivy league, it's just like a conference rule. Um, so, I mean, as you, you heard me mention earlier, my parents are doctors, right? So, so yeah. I wasn't sitting here getting full rise to an Ivy League school um, because we didn't need it. Uh, yeah. And what that meant for us, uh, what that meant for me is, like, don't get me wrong. Like, say, say, saying we didn't need it for four years of undergrad in Ivy League is one thing. I'm not out here trying to pay $50,000 extra dollars to stay I another year and you just you. get an undergrad you. degree. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, so, so I, I basically I knew I wanted to continue running. I felt like I was on the cusp of accomplishing some of my goals, uh, and I felt like my senior year at Brown, I had had like a small foot injury in the the winter, like some inflamed ligament or something, and and so that had kind of like you know people didn't really know how fit I was that senior year at Brown, right? I ran fourteen ten indoors, and I've been twentieth in the region and cross, but I really felt like I definitely was a sub fourteen guy, and I also. And also would have been able to, if I hadn't gotten hurt, you know, I fell in my PR race at Brown, too, when I ran 8.54 or something. Like, I really thought I was ready to be a low 8.40s guy. Uh, it just, like, hadn't come together yet. So, for me, the next year, it was kind of about just, like, taking that fitness uh, and saying, all right, where should I go? Like, I looked at Northern Arizona, but the, and that's actually where I was first going to go. But then they told me they were going to register. That was the year they registered put Futsum's and a Selassie and, like, registered all their guys so they could come back. And I was like, all right, I, at that point I thought I was going to have cross country eligibility. So I was like, I right, like, I'm good. Like, I don't want to go and, and not, and just like be in a, t- a team where everyone's just registered in the whole year. So Providence was the other school on my list, obviously raised like a really esteemed coach, you know, one of your earlier guests who I shouted you out for, called you up for having on earlier, you know, Molly Huddle, you know, she trains with them. Uh, Emily Sisson, uh, also trains with them, um, or trains with him. And so, you know, Ben True trains with him. And so, you know, Ray, Ray is obviously like an outstanding uh, coach and mm-hmm. it's been, and you know, it really, I couldn't really go wrong with coaching at any of the places I was looking at. But one of the things too, the, the captain I mentioned earlier, Kevin Cooper, the the Irish guy uh, who I mentioned with the American dream, he, you know, I sat down and talked with him. He's like, listen, man, if you want to keep going after this first year, you know, Ray's actually going to coach you. You're not just going to be pacing college, guys. He's going to, like, really give you a shot because Coop had actually done the same kind of thing, right, where he did a fifth year at Providence and he or he went to Brown to a fifth year at Providence uh, and then and then still kept training during, with Ray during his second year. Uh, and I was like, you know what, man? Like, that's that honestly sounds like it matters, just, like, having the ability to to, to train um, and really just, like, go ahead and give it a go, uh, you know, see what I'm made of in that second year and have someone like Ray, uh, Ray Tracy who's, like, uh, you know It's hard to name Five coaches in the world Who are better than Ray Tracy right Like <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I'll wait uh, and, and, and really just like Giving it a go uh, With that opportunity So that's why I ended up in Providence Right And it was convenient Because it was around Around the uh, around the corner Just a couple miles away
1: Man that's super Dope to like Have a coach That believes in you too Like you're a fifth year Coming in And it's like Hey Like you, If you want to Keep on If you want to Keep on running Then You know I'll keep I'll keep coaching you. I believe you could be good. So, but how did that lead to you creating Ocean Ocean State Athletics? I thought that was really dope. I didn't realize that you created your your own club to continue training. how did that come to be?
2: Yeah, man, it was honestly, it was honestly just like, there were three of us graduating, right? It was me, um, Liam Hillary, Shane Quinn, uh, and then julian side who was a, a couple years older than me had been training with ray out of college for a couple years so you have someone like liam right who's about a 14 10 28 or 29 low guy I mean like 29 20 he ran uh Shane you know, is emily's assistant's husband and he was about a 13 48 guy i think um and you had me coming out and i was like shoot man like we all want to keep training with ray uh why don't we just why don't we just stay on this keep training with ray man your hair looks way nice. I man, I see you took your took your do rag <laughs> off. Man, my thing is a mess. You're making me feel bad. But
0: <laughs> I had to. He's getting a little high. I'm sorry about that. For the listeners, man, Josh
2: just took his uh, Josh just took his do rag off, and his cornrows are looking nice. My hair looking the best. Uh, but I'm light skinned so it's loose. You know, it's hard to get it looking that good.
0: <laughs> <You> say, oh, <laughs> I'm dead.
2: But yeah, you know, it it basically was like we knew we wanted to keep training with Ray. Uh, most of us, we all had one extra year of grad school. Uh, and so we said, shoot, why don't we just, like, go ahead and give it a shot? And so, you know, looked into, like, how you had to, what you had to do, like, form a non-profit or whatever, and, and, uh, and just, like, set up a bank account, and like, figure out how to, how to go about, um, you know, being a track club. Uh, and so we did that for the first year, and, and that was just kind of how it started. Um, and at that point, too, the plan was to just make it through 2020 and call it a day, right? Like, ah, 2020, like, I'll be good, like, you know I, hopefully i'll make the finals the olympic trials and then i'll i'll retire and, and be happy and do whatever i want uh and mm. it looks uh it looks like it might be going on a little longer than that you know
1: <laughs> no that's super that's super tight do you guys feel like cuz yeah you you got fifth at usas you guys had i was reading on the profile one of the girls said like a a, a new zealand record so one you guys of the
3: guy Oh, yep. Julian,
1: Julian. So, you guys do have like, you guys have a legit club. Is this something that you see, you know, and you guys have a New Balance sponsor?
2: You know, so, so to answer all the questions that you're about to ask, as far as like, we're a legit club, like, do we, how do we see it growing in the next few years, yeah. things like that, and uh, our sponsorship, and that it, it's really in a state of flux, candidly, right? Like, part of it has to do with, uh, we're renegotiating our contract, but for, for whatever reason, um, you know, probably because we weren't coming out that elite, the first deal we signed didn't really have a lot of potential for growth and didn't really have a lot of um, you know, opportunity for for athletes to like make a full living with it. Uh so you had someone like Julian who ran seven forty four, which is, you know, ridiculous. I mean that is that is really fast. Uh and we just showed up at the track that day and did that. Um, but because he was from New Zealand, you know, we didn't have money to keep him here on his visa. So he's back in New Zealand. You know, we had Hugh, who who was a pretty good runner, uh, but we didn't have money to keep him here from Ireland. So he went back and he ran 2.12 uh, in the marathon uh, in Ireland, but he but he lives there now. So we're kind of in this interesting place where we're, you know, our deal's up at the end of the year and we're kind of like renegotiating with New Balance uh, right now Uh but we kind of have to figure that out by, by the end of, of 2020, right? Like, you know, what's, what's our deal going to be if it's with new balance, if it's elsewhere, um, or if someone like me, you know, I, I make zero money from running right now, right? Like I, I have zero, like, my travel is all paid for the all, only money we get from new balance. It covers a lot of our travel, which is obviously helpful as a club. Um, but I get most of my travel covered domestically by USTF anyway, uh, because of the level of athlete I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the kind of thing where we we sit here and it's kind of about negotiating to make sure that we have a deal like, that allows someone like me uh, who's running at like a world-class level to be able to make a living uh while while participating in the sport uh you know we like, 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 like go ahead and, and really like dive in and, and make the most out of myself um but also like gives mid-level athletes a chance to grow right uh where you might be able to join our club and not get very much you know you'd probably just be doing getting shoes uh, if you're, uh, if you're like a, you know, a 14 minute 5k guy, but if you're a 14 minute 5k guy and you end up running 1330, um, you know, we want to make sure there's something there for you. So I think it's kind of for us about like figuring out fundraising organizational structure to kind of like build, uh, build a, um, build a, build a, sustainable trap club, uh, going forward that if people run at a high level, they know they're gonna be able to be taken care of.
0: Wait, how is it for you, like you said, uh you're you're a runner that makes makes no money from running at a world class level, like that's what you're running at? How how is that for you? Like just like just on the basic level, just like general. I, I sort of feel like that's the perfect for talking for you for this hour, I feel like that's the perfect setup for you. Just like the mentality that you have, and like for if there's somebody that needs to be a runner and earn no money like from running like I feel like you're probably the perfect person to do that but just how is that for you how is that experience so far
2: that's funny man because on one like like I I I both agree with you in that I probably am the perfect person to do that (laughs) (laughs) like
1: like like, realistically you you know
2: oh yeah yeah, exactly man I want these checks man I want checks (laughs) it would be nice like like you know I think there's absolutely something a mentality where where every time I get somewhere and I feel like I'm You know, working. I work hard for everything I do. You know, I get up. I have to go to work. I get on the bus. uh, You know, I don't get on the bus every day right now. But normally during the year, I get on the bus every day. You know, I'm doing my whole thing with uh, Mm. you know, doing my whole thing like meeting Jewish students over at Hello, which is and frankly, I'm really lucky uh, that I managed to find a perfect part-time job that is also personally meaningful. Like that's not something most runners are fortunate to have. Most of the time, it's like working for McDonald's or or tutoring kids for the SAT or or things like that. Uh, But for me, I'm lucky that I'm able to actually like sustain myself with a job that pays uh, $23,000 a year. Um, And I do still get to have the underdog mentality. And I think fortunately, just based on who I am as a person, I'm a pretty like, I would say like, you know, my my teammate Colin, who's in med school, and I always talk about this, it's kind of like the spectrum of, of what, Someone is able to do and run successfully, right? And on one end, you have people who who just need to be homebodies, right? The people who, you know, if I may have in an interview described as are sitting around jacking off all day. Uh, you know, those people are kind of on one end of the spectrum, uh, just people mm. who have all time, and, and that's what's healthy for them is just like sitting around watching Netflix, like not doing much. I then there's like another that. end of the spectrum where people, where you can get too busy and people are just doing something all the time, right? Like, like now I need to, now I need to like study for the MCAT. Now I need to, uh, found a, start a business. Now I need to, uh, you know, learn a language. Like now I need to, um, uh, go see all my friends. Like now I need to like go to parties and clubs and everyone in, in between that spectrum has like a pretty, um, has like a, a level or a, a sort of like vector of, of solutions that, it, that that are healthy for them and they're running. And mine is definitely over somewhere in the like doing more than doing less uh, area, right? Uh, you're talking about like, I, like I, I do have a pretty vibrant social life, especially when it's not coronavirus. Uh, I work, you know, I am learning a language, you know, I have other random, like I learned how to sew to make cosplay, things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, for me, though, the checks would kind of be about a couple things. Like one is it's difficult. Well, it, it, it's hard with work that – so let, let's say, for example, World Cross Country Champion. Like I want to go on that mixed relay again. Let's say, let's say I got on that mixed relay again uh, for World Cross, and they tell me it's in uh, – and they tell me it's the same week as Passover. Like Passover is a yeah. big – when you work at a Jewish nonprofit, like serving kids. Mm-hmm. And that, that would be a source of stress for me. Be having to go to my boss and saying, Hey, can I miss Passover in this whole week uh, for world cross? And the thing is, I am going to miss it. Like I'm not missing world cross. If I make that team again, Like I'm going to be on that flight to Australia. It's that simple. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's, but it's a challenge uh, feeling you know, it's frustrating thinking that I would have to like make that decision. And if I had money coming in, otherwise it would give me more leverage with work. The second thing is if I didn't want to, well, even if I did want to keep working, I could afford a car, which would save me a lot of time getting places. It's pretty difficult. Or I could at least Uber everywhere because it would cut my commute time down from something like, you know, 30 to 40 minutes each way to like nine minutes each way, uh, plus just like giving me some mental freedom. Uh, and the last part is taking, like the things I talk about, taking care of my body, that takes time, right? Like I'm talking about uh, getting massages. I'm talking about going to multiple physical therapists. I'm talking about uh, seeing a chiropractor. I'm talking about just like having time to, to stretch and do all these exercises on my own. Uh, and I'm talking about like, you know, two weeks from now, I got one of the highest mileage weeks in my life, right? Like I'm sitting here doing 12 and fives, uh and, and so like when you out here doing 12 and fives it's kind of hard to, to go for 12 and five and like work all these hours in between you know what i'm saying
0: yeah yeah i wouldn't even imagine doing 12 and five that sounds like all a right. <laughs> to
2: it's a long day man it's a long day <laughs> and and i guess too the last part too is you know being a high-capacity person, it's not that I wouldn't fill the time, right? I'm not going to ever be someone who is just sitting around in my house all day, wasting my wasting my day away. But I do want to continue getting better at languages, right? I, I do want to get fluent in Japanese and, and, and start studying other languages. Uh, I do want to learn how to sew better and, like, make more cosplay. And for me, it would kind of be about the flexibility and the opportunity to do those kinds of things, uh, rather plus oh, training trips too. But like rather than the the rather than just like saying now I'm a pro runner, I can just like sit around all day. It'll be about mm-hmm. the excitement of doing those those things. Like there is no there's no amount of money you can give me that will make me not still have a chip on my shoulder. I will tell you that right now.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like too like you really you're really doing this for like the the experiences that that you're gonna have. You know, it's not just yes. about like really the money. And I don't know, I ran no. I ran for the, the Hoka Aggies for a couple of years as a club team. And I understand exactly what you're saying, like, about, like, that spectrum. And it's very interesting when you see it in a club where people are working because, like, it's so different. And I, like, I, for one, was, like, i am always been in running, like, a little bit more similar to, like, what you're saying. Like, I'm more on the side of, like, yeah, like, I love running. I want to be literally good at running. But there was all these different like stuff that I was always like trying to do or experiment with, or like still progress in lives or develop myself differently. Whereas some people like, you know, they just want to run, like they just run and then they just sit at home and they, and they, they just chilling, but I think it's important uh, to yeah, what are they doing? What are they doing at home? Come on, man! Come on! What are they doing at home? <laughs> you know they beat and they meet? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. just uh, kidding. Um, I just like, exposed a couple of people, old roommates. But um, <laughs> uh, no, but I think it. I think it's definitely important to find to find that that balance where like I don't know. I think it's important to not just completely identify with what you're doing. Like, I think it, it, in anything that you do, I think it's important to have those other things. And I think that just helps to continue promote promote happy, happiness, to be be honest.
2: No, I agree, man. Because it's like, if you have a bad race, you know, what you gonna do? If, if, if you are, you know, I mean, I wrote a poem once called I Am Not My Times. It's on my Facebook from a few years back. But like, it's it, 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 if, if you are your track times, and you go out and you fail, then like, what is it? You know, like, well, who are you? Like, what have you done? You know, when, when I went and I came 10th and I was hurt, I said, all right, well, I guess I'm gonna go, uh, I'm gonna get ready for this anime convention in New York in a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> though, and it yeah. didn't I forgot about running, right? But like, life is a series of decisions anyway, right? And 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 you are choosing running over other things,
3: yes.
2: Uh, and I'm okay with. I'm at peace with that decision, right? I love doing it. It's brought me around the world. It's introduced me to so many amazing people. Uh, YouTube being the latest, too, obviously. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's given me so many things that that I'm incredibly thankful for um but it's not like it's not like i wake up and what i have to do tomorrow is like i like if i am not a fast runner tomorrow then i'm a failure it's not that
1: but it, yeah sure, it should and it i don't think it should ever be that for for anyone no. to be honest but also we wanted to talk a little bit too like you mentioned um at, at what you do at Heathrow, could you like just describe describe that uh job a little bit for us and what you do there
2: for sure, yeah. I mean, so my job at Hillel, tech, my type, my new title is a director of student entrepreneurship, which sounds mad fancy, uh, but these checks ain't fancy. So uh, <laughs> <Yeah. but laughs> it's the kind of thing where, um, basically, like a lot of my job has to do with student engagement in the first place. Like that's really what what all of our jobs at Hillel have to do with, whether you're the executive director or you know a program associate. So a lot of my job is just kind of like meeting new students uh, and kind of like figuring out how to talk with them, get to know them, and, like, tap them for different uh, leadership opportunities. So, for example, I'm going to be, like, working with, uh, like, we're creating a student fellowship called the Make Hill Yours Fellowship. It's going to be kind of about, like, an exploratory, um, you know, process for, for Jews, uh, like, just kind of being, like, listen, you might, like, you might really not love Yom Kippur, like, you might really not know that much about Judaism, but how can you explore Judaism, like, with yourself and the people around you, Um, in a way like that would end up creating like meaningful community for you for your people uh, and, and, you know, for Hillel and is, is kind of the bottom line. I also kind of work with a uh, couple interns who do social media for us. So there's a couple students who who have really been awesome, and they like they're, they're they basically have, like, changed our social media from being, like, this really unplanned out, like, kind of tacky thing to, like, a really nice, uh, well-done affair that's that's posting on a regular basis and, like, looks really nice and is well-organized uh, around like a clear, kind of consistent message. And so that's also been... Uh, really awesome working with those interns. And I also work with student groups. Uh, the two that primarily that I work with are the ones that, that you know, uh, are pretty, um, yeah, definitely like a, a, right in line with my own identity, but the Maccaberes, which is a group for Jewish student athletes and Hillelin with Melanin, which is a group for Jews of color.
0: That's dope. That's just a bar. A level of melanin that's a bar that, that's, yeah that's i know right
2: well, listen, you, you should have heard the first you should have heard the first 30 names we came up with <laughs> <laughs> we we were sitting there we were sitting at this bubble tea place on thayer street right down and we were sitting okay we need a name for this but it's not going to be boring like the jews of like they, i think they had a group once called the jews of color it's like we're not calling our group the jews of color yeah so we we sat there and we were like color jewish like and so in the end, we came up with, uh, someone's like, someone's like, something's like, someone like melanin. And it's like, hello, melanin, hellelin with melanin. And, they, and that's how the bar came up, man. But you should have heard the first 30. <laughs>
0: that's funny. What I really noticed about you, like definitely being a part of Halel, like being part of Halel, and then being part, like a main contributor to like Save Brown and everything, like you being Jewish and African-American, I feel like. And definitely I've read like your uh, interview that you had with Hillel and talking about how like you found like a safe space there when you're at Brown. I feel like you've been a part, you've created and you're, you're a part of a lot of like safe spaces and sort of like communities that like help marginalized groups and like lift up marginalized groups that you can say like, why has that been so important to you in your life so far? yeah,
2: man, well, it's like you you know you 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 hear the way I mean it's like you hear the way we talk about the election, right and it's and and it's just like understanding what it's like uh, to be someone who feels like things aren't made for you, right uh, and understanding why it's important to create things for people who who feel that way. Uh, it, it's not always easy for everyone to just, like, step into a space and, and feel welcome, and I think one thing that a lot of people, um, you know, especially, like, you know, white people, cis, hetero, white people, blah, 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 blah you know, <laughs> don't mm-hmm. understand is what that feels like to, to just step into a space and already not feel welcome because, not because of your, not because you have prejudice, but because you have had so many negative experiences with different types of, with different types of of people. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: It's, it's the kind of thing where, where, when you already, when you understand that experience of already feeling unwelcome, uh, you realize that, that it's one of those things that that's so important to, like, create dedicated spaces for people like that, and I think that's one thing, too, about me just, like, as an individual, like, it's weird, right, because it's, it's not like I'm a small personality, right, like, I'm a pretty big, um, personality, almost overwhelming. Some people uh, might, might find me, but I also have friends who are introverts who have been like, yeah, it was like, honestly, when I met you, it was like, just easy to talk to you. And I think that's, that's really what I try and bring is just like being unassuming and, and, and just like welcoming. And like, if someone comes into my life, like, I don't care what you say you like, as long as you're not like, um, as long as you're not like, I murder babies and I hate black people. Like, yeah. You know,
0: so, it's, it's, yeah, I feel you. I feel yeah, you. I yeah. would be a horrible
2: person to be around. Yeah, It'd be a horrible person to be around. I would not want to be like that. Uh, be around that. And so for me, it's it's very much that I want to make someone feel welcome for anything that they might feel uncomfortable about themselves for, uh, and in spaces where I'm someone who has the capacity to 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 create that welcomeness. Uh, whether it's for Black people within a Jewish community or Jews of color within a Jewish community, right? Because it's obviously like not all Jews of color are Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or whether it's for 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 Black people in the, the running community and whatnot, which is like what you guys are, are doing right now. Uh, or whether it's just like for, for a bunch of anime nerds in Providence. Um, I'm really about just trying to, trying to create that space and, and allow people to feel like they can be themselves.
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of times when you're someone... That grows up being the the only in something, like you understand that important importance of like making sure everyone feels included at the end of it. Cause I feel like for me too, again, growing up running distance and track, you know, especially once I got to the high school level, you know, you become like this token guy in all all of your groups. And like, I don't know, it's just like it's just life. You guys deal with it, it's whatever, but I always have gotten, I've gotten that same thing. Where People always have told me like, yeah, you've just been like easy, easy to talk to, or like, you're like one of like the glue people in the group. And I feel like some of that is because like, I'm used to being that, that only, and I, and I know that importance of making sure everyone feels like we're, we a crew, like everyone feels included, like that one quiet person. Like I love being at a party and then like that quiet person, you know, that's not talking to anyone. I've always been that person. Like I want to be friends with that person. Like what's good with them and see how they're doing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's, I think that's real, man. And and it's, and it's important just to make sure people feel that way.
1: I was going to ask too, how did it feel um, this year? You know, we saw no, no allows. Uh, do the black fist we've seen like art a lot of articles mario hall talking um about the some of the Mm injustice about being black in america how did see how did feel seeing all your fellow track and field athletes uh speak out about all the protests and injustice going on this year
2: yeah i mean you know it's 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 cool seeing it's cool seeing anyone uh speak out about those things and especially especially athletes in your own sport right like whether it's whether it's like, whether it's LeBron, whether it's Noah, whether it's Marielle, like, it's honestly it's honestly just cool to see people taking a stand. Like, it's it's, it's, it's important, and it's an issue that matters, uh, and it's an issue that people need to listen to. Uh, and so, really, just, like, just seeing those things on, on a larger level and a larger scale, I think, is, is powerful and, and important. And it's also just, like, a reminder that, like, we got, you know, we, we still got to keep fighting. You know, there's, there's, the we, we, as black people, we still have a lot to, to achieve equality in this country, uh, and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we don't have, we doesn't mean we shouldn't have time to heal ourselves and to love ourselves and to, and to appreciate ourselves and our own culture and the things that make it beautiful, um, but we also still gotta keep fighting.
0: Well, I think what I'm really uh, curious about is that all those things that Marielle and like Noah Lyles and Rebecca Mara and the list can go on of what people have done in Gwynberry like it's been really like impactful and really inspirational especially in a time like this and now going into this olympic year next year a lot of those same people are in contention to be at the olympics next year are going to be or going to be running at the olympic trials and same with you as well like do you feel with all the things going on then on top of that with the election and i don't know if the pandemic's still going to be around during that time in the olympic trials but do you think it's going to be is I know it's the, it's gonna it's going to be Olympic year, so next year is definitely impactful. But do you think there's going to be a little a cherry on top, or make it a little bit extra impactful with everything going around in the U.S. and just the world in general?
2: That's a good question, man. Like I I hope so because there's been so much uh, there's been so much. Uh, vitriol really and 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 cynicism and and skepticism and the responses to all of these protests right and and i, I like i just it it, it 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 puzzles me it's it's absolutely perplexing like what, what what do people think black people's agenda is about protesting these things like what? What do they think Colin Kaepernick's like trying to accomplish? Like what? What mm-hmm. do they think that, that that when Colin Kaepernick and LeBron James and Noah Lyles and Marielle and like what? What, what do they think that the odd people are trying to accomplish uh, by protesting things? I just, I just hope that when we look back at these these moments, I hope people remember the the hate that people gave to Colin Kaepernick. You know, like, I pe- pe- people need to remember that we sit here, we sit here like this, like, like uh, what was it, like, Tommy Smith and whatever the other guy's name was? John uh, Carlos. And John Carlos, right. We sit we sit here talking like Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Uh, we're just, like, American heroes after that. Yeah. And it's like, they came back and we're getting death threats.
1: Exactly, bro. Mm-hmm.
2: Like, we talk as if Martin Luther King was this... Uh, was this uniting figure? He's dead. He
1: got shot. Like you know, he's <laughs> dead.
2: He got shot. Like if you you know you can read about things from Martin Luther King. Like there there, there was there was a um, there was a poll that, that there's a poll before he died that suggested more people among white people thought he did more to harm racial to harm uh, racial progress than help it. That's crazy, right? It was divisive back then. And so I don't want to hear people talk about people saying Black Lives Matter is divisive. I, I I don't want to hear that because you telling you failing to listen to me is divisive. You you sitting here while there's millions of us being like, man, my, this hurts, and it hurts our communities is divisive. And I want people to remember if someone like Noah Lyles pulls out pulls out uh pull, pulls out a black glove uh, when he hopefully wins gold at the Olympics next year. Like I want people, I want people to remember if there if there's hate directed at him because you can't tell me what he did is and or would do is divisive. I want people to remember not just the action and not just that it matters, but but to remember the response.
1: One hundred, bro. Yeah, and that's why this year yeah. it, this year was so crazy just for that. Like I felt when, yeah, when all the protests first initially broke out, or even like Colin Kaepernick a couple years ago, like, I was always with them because I was like, all you guys that are making up all the excuses to hate on, hate on this man, or to hate on this movement, y'all are the same people that would have been in the 60s, hating on Martin Luther King, and all these things that you guys try to give praise now, or the people that you guys try to say that we're doing the protests right, that, like, we need to do it, like, Y'all would have been one of the people hating. Y'all would have been hating if hating y'all hating right a- now, because you you y'all really a- aren't. You really aren't with it, because like you said, you're deciding not to listen. You're deciding to think that there's some extra like crazy agenda instead of just really like listening and trying to figure out what you can do to help instead of complaining.
2: And, and they're trying to be like Candace Owens said that, and I'm like, Come <laughs> and on, I'm man. like, <laughs> 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 like. <laughs> like we all know one Candace owens we all know a black republican somewhere yes right like you all like we all know we all know we all know at least one and i don't hate them for being a black like you know what i'm saying like there there was there there is one on the brown black alumni group right the brown track one and when we were all like whoa i didn't see that coming but he was a good he's a good dude i don't i, I think he's probably misguided or misunderstands some things in my opinion
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh but but they just point at Candace Owens and say, Well, Candace Owens said this. And I'm like, there's millions of us marching in the street.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You're gonna go off the one, the one you agree with.
2: There's millions of us marching in the street.
1: And exactly on that point, like I, I believe
0: you said that dude, he's a good dude. Like I feel like that's also something that like that's really that's really troublesome in our country, what people don't understand. Like I feel like a lot of people are like, if they have different views from me, like I'm totally gonna hate this person and not or just not even be open to a conversation or any type of way and I feel like that's really just developed in the past four years like if there's now a complete like there's a a complete split when it comes to those two parties and it's really disappointing to see that like right now it seems like it can never be like reconstructed that like break can't be like fully put back together but hopefully one day we'll get to that point you know
2: we we can we can only hope man but it, it it i think that what's so difficult right uh as far as the current climate of things is what you what you have between uh i mean we'll just call it people on the the, the left and the right because political parties right like i'm i'm like it, my ideology is uh, very far to the left uh but i don't identify i'd probably be like i'm a i'm a progressive i'm not a radical and i'm not a liberal right like hmm. Uh, but that doesn't make that definitely doesn't make me a Democrat. It means that I'm probably just gonna vote Democrat because I don't have any better choices. Uh,
3: exactly.
2: <laughs> but but what you have is a population like when we talk about the people like um you know, generally like rural, low income, white like people who are talking about my mom's talking about with healthcare, right? Who who if you actually do talk to people and like watch Fox News for a second or and see what uh, what right-wing media is, is, is putting down people's throats. There's this fear that's being created that everyone who is, is, whether you're talking about a black person or people who are advocating for black people and are angry about it, it's, it's, it's the sense that we hate, uh, that we hate right-wing people, that we hate, uh, that we hate or think less uh, of, or just like, uh, just totally don't believe in the humanity of, of right-wing people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really being fed at this incredibly high level. But if you go back, like I, I saw a speech from maybe like the 50s of like one of the, the people who was, uh, I forget his name, but it's one of the people who founded found the Black Panthers, like one of their old presidents. And he said, if you spend time hating the white man for the color of his skin, then you got a problem. <laughs> we mad about police brutality in the 50s we mad about people not having health care we mad about people not having having housing and but but what you realize by him having to say that is that it's a narrative that's been created for for years that that if we're mad about the way we're treated in this country it's because we think less of or hate uh or hate people who think differently than we do what happens then is these people aren't 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 mad because they think these the people on the right are mad because they think because they're being told that everyone on the left doesn't think they're real people just 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 just, just hates them just for who they are hates them just for thinking differently and i'm like i don't hate anyone for thinking differently i recognize this person you know i recognize this guy on the cause humanity right like i recognize he's a dude i think he i think he's wrong about stuff Uh, I think, I I think someone, I think someone probably ought to let him read the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, Uh, but my disdain then comes from the way it makes me feel. It hurts. It hurts when someone doesn't care. It hurts when someone supports policies that don't serve black people. That, that, that hurts me as a human being. And it's that feeling that results in, in anger, that results in, in rage, that results in,
1: frustration
2: but I don't dehumanize anyone else and I don't think most people do
1: yeah no I I agree with that and I think that feeling that you have is the feeling that your mom has had your grandparents have had and your ancestors for a really long time and I feel like some of it too like that feeling that if someone disagrees with you especially when we're talking about stuff that like if you are pro-black you know and you, you see these policies that are like hurting your communities and you're angry about it and and it's almost like sometimes the media has warped it to think that oh you so you hate you hate america then and and it's almost yeah, goes back to like it almost goes back to like this like type of like like this type of white like guilt and because it, it's kind of i mean it's kind of like what was Developed here, it, they just, they just hated, they hated us and belittled us because we were, we were, we were slaves. So it's like almost like some guilt that they would think, they think that we want to, you know, destroy them or something. And it's, and it's like, what, like,
2: it's like you the ones out here bringing people to your convention who just were pointing guns at us.
1: That's crazy. And they're saying
0: like we hate them, like they'll say like we hate like America, but like bro, we're from this country too, like co- we're from this we're country Americans. too, like we're American. We don't even have, and for like a lot of us, like me, me and Aaron, like we don't know where we're originally from in in Africa. Like I don't, I don't know what where where I was really originally from it's in like, the continent of Africa. Like, like that place is so big. Yeah. So like this culture is also my culture, and I think they. A lot of white people, they don't really have, their culture is like America. But they don't
1: recognize that that's just our culture too though.
0: Yeah. And we're trying to make it better for everyone.
2: I mean, I'll tell you, man, there's this one, I had a conversation with my friend Alex one time. Now, Alex is a guy I met over in Japan. He's American, uh, but he moved, he moved over there after college. He had learned, um, he's Chinese American, but he moved over there after uh, college. He just like learned the language in college and, and was like, I'm going to go work over here for a little while. So I, I was talking with him and I was like, man, you ever going to move back to America? And this is of course before Trump was elected. So, you know, at this point, you know, <laughs> at this point it was like, oh yeah, why not? But uh, is what I thought. He said, he's like, honestly, yeah, I will. Uh, and I was like, why, you know, you seem to love it in Japan. And he said, you, you miss things like being loud in restaurants because when you're in japan you know he's like yeah man you, you haven't noticed but this is louder than we ever are in restaurants like everyone in japan is just, like very quiet and mm. and you know uh respectful and all these things and you miss those little things but like, he's like he's from he's from new Jersey. He's like you miss just like a slice of pizza right there's yeah. being able to go out at night and just be like i'm gonna get a slice of pizza and it's all those little things when you say, man, this is our country too. Not to mention the fact that if I like yeah, I would love to go live in, in Norway or whatever and get some health care and whatnot, but but like where where am I going to be able to connect with other like black Americans who share a similar experience and share a culture that I want to partake in in Norway?
0: Yeah, there ain't a lot of black people out there. There probably ain't a lot of people uh, list, watching Chris move out there. I can tell you that <laughs> they could understand that.
1: Right,
2: exactly, and that's and that's like a real thing when, when people talk. Like, like I don't hate America, but but I hate a lot of the policies that America has and what it and what they do to black people.
0: Yeah. So those,
2: those are not those are not uh asynchronous
0: mm-hmm. yeah And that's the same thing like you could you like i don't like well this doesn't uh correlate to me but like i don't i don't hate my parents i don't hate like the house that i live in but i may hate some of the things that some of the rules that my parents have under me like maybe like a curfew or something like that you may hate those type of things but that doesn't mean you don't that doesn't mean you hate your parents at the end of the day like, they your now. parents
1: bro Perfect analogy yeah. Yeah, your parents yeah, at the end on, of man. the day like what you i would say even more so like your like my brother like sometimes you might hate some of the yeah. things your your brother or your sibling does but at the end of the day like that's yeah, your yeah. that's blood that's your family blood. and it's like exactly. it's always going to be what's familiar when you go back home and you connect with your connect with your family
0: exactly but man that was low key that's a lengthy podcast but a good one but a good one the, but the long one, ones are always good key like, it's like a joke <laughs> working experience right here, bro. Never
2: short with you, man. It's never gonna be short with me.
0: <laughs> but we're gonna close out real quick. And before we close out, we we gotta talk about it. You already mentioned it. Some some of the anime conventions you go through, code to oh, yeah. cosplay and stuff. We gotta talk about just like how did you get in, how did you get into anime? Me and Aaron also. Love anime too. Our brother Caleb, he's the he's the main oh, yeah. one though. Caleb loves anime. Hey,
1: he's he's. Uh, and I 100 percent agree ahead. with you. For some reason, like black people love anime, bro. Like growing yeah, up, like anime, I've been into anime since I was little, bro. Like forever. Dragon Ball yeah. Z is the first one. Dragon Ball
2: Z. How about you? About my age, so you know about like Yu Yu Hakusho, Rony Kenshin on tsunami, right? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Yu Yu Hakusho, Roni Kenshin, man. Cowboy V Exactly. Yup. Yup. Samurai shampoo. All the old school ones, man. But- yeah, man. answer the question, I was the same way, man. It was like I went to, but back. This is back before my private school days. You know, we went to. Uh, I went to like a normal, a normal uh, charter school back in Springfield, Illinois, where I lived before I moved to St. Louis. Uh, and it was, you know, it was just like everyone was in the anime. Like that's what you did. Like if you, if you mm-hmm. didn't know what, if you didn't know about Goku beating Majin Buu okay in, in all of his different forms if you didn't know about that if you didn't know about the fusion dance okay <laughs> nice. if you didn't know about uh if you don't know about yusuke and that spirit gun okay when he beat taguro in the dark tournament arc if you didn't know about that you couldn't come to the playground you couldn't come <laughs> yeah. to the playground and so it was the kind of thing where where you you know you 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 begin to to develop uh that love at that at that age um and then, like, but you know, I started collecting manga, right? Like, one of my one of my friends came to school. He was like, "Yo, I got this Yu Gi Oh comic book." I was like, "Yu Gi Oh comic book? Like, let me get one of those." So I start buying Yu Gi Oh comic books. Next thing you know, I see Bleach on the shelf. I'm like, "Oh, this dude looks cool with his big old sword and this and his yeah. uh So I was like, "All right, let me get this Bleach real quick." Next thing you know, I'm reading Bleach, One Piece, and I have like so much manga from that era. Uh, it's crazy, um, and, and that was kind of how it started. Then, like in like high school and college, I kind of backed off a little bit. But I found my way back after college. When, when first, uh, I mean, really, it was just like when I went to a PC. Like, you know, it's definitely a much. Um, I mean, there's no full track team, right? And it's definitely like a wider team. But you know, a PC, is yeah, no one was into what I was into, and so I was like, man, I'm watching more just anime stuff, and it's because everyone's like, I don't want, I don't want to watch anime, Jordan. Uh, so I was, I was like well, whatever I want more anime uh, and, so, and so I really started making a resurgence with that then one of my friends was just like you want to come to this anime convention and I was like oh man am I in that deep <laughs> and then <laughs> I was like, yes, uh, yes. Man, I'm going I'm going we're going to see what happens uh, next thing you know I went to Goodwill I made a Konami Tosin cosplay that's a black soul with dreadlocks for those of you listening to the podcast who don't know and, and that was how it all began with the cosplay too.
0: And then I really feel like uh, anime has taken like a real rise in the past couple, past like two years. And I'll definitely like contribute that to like RDC World and Supreme Dreams, Mark Mark Phillips, David, yeah. they, they do a great job. But like, what do you think uh, sets anime apart from like entertainment? Like I, I have a reason, but what do you think like really sets anime apart? I think there's something about cartoons or just like media that is not
2: in real life that allows for a level of creativity that Mm -hmm. is that is different than what you're able to at a reasonably high level of cost efficiency that is different from what you're able to do with real life real people things so for example if you take like attack on titan which is the show about you know these giant monsters that are out here uh eating people uh that would kind of look ridiculous if you did it with in real life Yeah. uh, yeah and it would and if it wasn't ridiculous, it would cost so much money. Yeah. But because of anime, you're able to actually, like, do it at a reasonably, you know, cost-efficient level uh, and end up with, like, a really awesome uh, product, right? So that's, that's the first thing. I think the second thing is the Japanese production schedule. I guess there's two things. There's manga. The fact that it all comes from manga, which allows for longer-form storytelling that sometimes can get too long and sometimes uh, does it just right when it comes to, like, Metal Alchemist, for example, uh, or even like Attack on Titan, although the, 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 they're not really sticking the landing if you're reading the manga right now, uh, but, but then the, the last thing is just the production schedule, uh, most anime are like one season of like 26 episodes or, or, or maybe like two seasons, something like that. Uh, So you also don't deal with these long run on stories that are that are like ridiculously that that, that just like go into that period where like the last couple seasons, you're just really dragging it out. There's Mm -hmm. generally like a story arc that people are trying to accomplish. And I think that ends up with like a a more cohesive, coherent story.
0: I also found I find just like anime to just be like really motivating, especially like when you when you go to like adventure animes and stuff like I'll be watching My Hero Academia. And Majoritya just straight up just... He be making me want to go on, like, a 10-mile run, even though he cries too much. He be, he be crying me way tear too up. much at that time.
1: He be making me tear but, up. But
0: yeah, that man be motivating me, to be honest, like, for real, for real.
2: Do you guys ever... You guys ever heard of Ace of Diamond?
0: No. No, I haven't.
2: Well, it's a baseball anime, right? Mm. And there's this one episode where, you know, of course, like, you know, I'm watching it every morning. I do it to study and everything. And so there's this one episode where this one character hits a walk-off home run, right? And you know how it is where, like, they play the same music every episode, you know? It's, 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 yeah. it's, you have music for, like, the really exciting moment. And, I, you know, when I watched this for the first time, you can watch that after, I just put it in the chat. You know, when the, the, the first time I, I, I watched this home run, it's a like walk-off, big one, you know? It's like he's running and everyone's, like, clearing the bench. Everyone's going and getting, getting the hype for him like i was like I, I like i did the whole thing where i imagined myself making the olympic team you know yeah. like we all have you know you all imagine your best races right like you you, yeah. you know i i know i know you know josh is out here like imagine himself winning conference championships right now right <laughs> and so i'm out here i'm out here like imagining, it and, and suddenly like now in my in my making the olympic team dream the uh the ace of diamond music is playing <laughs> <laughs> so that's how motivating it is for sure yeah What's, i definitely
0: agree with
1: that what would you say what are your top three animes all time
2: all right so like manga is also like a, an important like like you got to include manga in this
1: mm-hmm. uh okay.
2: but I, i'll give them both because there's definitely major overlap top three manga uh is one piece number one if you guys do not read one piece oh it's too long no it is not too long it is, it is long, so though. good it hit, no, it is hit in Chapter 1,000, probably around the New Year, and it is the best piece of shonen manga. It is the best. It is the best manga of all time. There, there's a. Re- if you go to Japan, you 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 will learn how uh how, like my friend who's who's Japanese and lived and lived over here for his PhD, he said One Piece in in Japan is like Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars combined.
0: That's crazy, wow. Man. That like, fandom. One
2: piece, is is the best uh the story is cohesive like you be meeting characters in like chapter 200 and they still haven't fought yet because you because you like just get the introduced to them there's like total plot consistency over the course of a thousand chapters now and like right now this arc is happening it's it's, it's chapter a thousand and it's still hype so one piece you need to check out monster which is by naoki Urasawa, is just like the story about a doctor who he, like, saves this kid's life, and then the kid ends up, like, turning out to be, like, a psychopath killer. Uh, So that one's really, really interesting. Really recommend. It's pretty short, like, 200 chapters, and, like, a really deep, uh, you know, kind of, like, psychological thriller of a story. Um, And then, and then probably... I'm just gonna go with go with Mob Psycho 100. Um, that came out recently. It's kind of like, like like one thing I like about Mob Psycho is it, it's kind of about the idea that no matter what crazy powers you have, like it's like this dude who's basically like as strong as Saitama, uh, mm. but he kind of like doesn't care. Like he just is is he's just like trying to like get this girl he likes his attention and doing everything he can, and he kind of is just like failing failing at it. But saving the world a few times in the process, and like constantly powering up. But it's it's a show that's really about how even when you're the most powerful person in the world, uh, you're not. It does something. nothing really makes anyone special. Just being good at something, right? I'm good at running. You guys are good at running a podcast. Uh, like someone's good at math. Like someone's good at building. You know, designing buildings. Like. <laughs> All of these things that is kind of like different and unique attributes that people have, and I think that's a really beautiful uh, message. And then, you know, honorable mention that would make the anime list but not the the manga list uh, is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Obviously, that's just like a total masterpiece. Like I'm sure you're familiar with that. You know, yeah. Edward Elric, Alphonse Elric, brothers. That's right up your alley.
1: What is the uh, what is the uh, best live action? Is there any live action? Um, anime that Dragon- you've seen that you respect Dragon Ball Evolution
2: <laughs> Listen, I believe my, my friends Tamir we were watching the Death Note live action movie and oh he said God. whoever made this movie must hate anime <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my answer to that question
1: <laughs> uh, none, none. that one was that, was that was terrible that one was terrible. absolutely terrible
2: it was, it was really bad it was really bad
1: then as we get towards the end, we always
0: ask this question uh, when we have somebody on the podcast: like, who should we have next? Who do we, who needs, who fits the black two black runners mold, and would be a great guest on the great guest on the podcast?
2: Have you guys had Russell Dinkins on yet, man?
1: No, we no, need not more, yet. Though. We need him. We, we had him, have him on water. IG Live
2: talking a lot, man. He gets on my nerves sometimes, but, but I love him. <laughs> and he's a really good dude. And obviously with everything going on with the, with the, with, you know, saving track programs and whatnot, I think he'd be a good addition. Just tell him that I said, if, if, if he gets all buttoned up again, he better, he better, he better relax a little bit when he gets on camera.
1: <laughs> we'll let him know for sure. <laughs> and lastly, what mark do you want to leave on the sport when you're all done? man I don't even know what that
2: means right like <laughs> like, like who, who's gonna look back at this in the grand scheme of things and be like Jordan man like like you you know what I'm saying like Evan Yeager's gonna like something like Evan Jaeger won all these championships Noah Lyles did all this right like you know what I'm saying like, like 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 I'm not even gonna be the best black distance runner right you got like Lopez out here you got you know it, it, it for me I think it's never so much about the larger legacy that I can leave on a sport. Cause that's, that's, that's basically impossible, right? Like to, to really think about, uh, unless you're, you're really one of the people who's going to be immortalized. Um, for me, it's just kind of about like, what, what impact can I make on the people that I come through in the sport? And as I come through it, you know, and, and, and how can I be, not how can I be special and immortalized, uh, in track and field, but how can I be special and immortalized to like my friends, the track community and the people who I get to know as I, as I move through it
0: you gotta res- you have to respect that you have to respect that definitely that answer for sure for sure and you really you gotta that from all this from all this podcast from that answer you gotta respect Jordan man he ain't just anime and chicken and uh beating his you know what you feel me so I'm
3: talking about other people man I'm talking about other people <laughs>
0: But that's not I'm just saying You gotta repress You gotta respect it You gotta respect it But thank you so much For coming on the pod bro We really do We really do Like I said We respect you We really do appreciate you Coming on Aaron you got anything else You gotta say Before we close out the pod bro
1: Thanks again Jordan For coming on Had a good talk Long podcast For all of our listeners And if you listen this far Into the podcast You truly are A homie And you keep us motivated To get these podcasts out Every week So enjoy it and, uh, you know, the election is, it might be, I, honestly, I'm I'm expecting it to go a little bit longer than Tuesday, but, you know, hopefully y'all listen to this and it took your mind off it a little bit, but we're going to be all right, though. we we going to figure it out. We're going to make we it through this, y'all, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for coming on the pod, Jordan. I really do appreciate you. I really do appreciate you, bro. My pleasure, guys.